Welcome into another episode of a Cali Green Monster show. I am your host, Dean Ryan, coming to you here from the Tesla Studios in a rainy, soggy, but still beautiful San Diego, California. It is Monday morning, April 26, 2021, and we are coming off a weekend that was filled of awesome fighting, whether you're watching it from the UFC cage or from the cinematic universe of Mortal Kombat. This weekend had a little bit of everything for you if you're a fight fan. So I'll be covering both UFC 261 and Mortal Kombat, the movie that came out in theaters and HBO Max on Friday. So, you know, I was able to enjoy both of those things on a brand new television that I got on Friday. And you might be like, oh, dude, Dean, new television, right on. But it wasn't one of those like celebratory, I was planning on getting the television. Came home on Friday, and it was definitely one of those like, just maybe not the best mood Friday, kind of like looking forward to coming back and spending time with the family, watching a good movie or two, and just anticipating, you know, watching Mortal Kombat at some point and dope UFC. And my wife just looked at me, seeing that I was already like kind of already in an upset mood and was just like, the TV's broken. So the only response to the TV is broken is looking back at my wife and being like, are you cool with me going to Best Buy and getting a TV right now? Well, she gave me the thumbs up and God bless, you know, modern efficiency with buying stuff because, you know, with the Best Buy app, I was able to find the right TV, a 60 inch LG, place it for pickup, jumped in the SUV, drove over to La Jolla Best Buy. Man, I had probably within, within two hours of, you know, discovering that the TV was broken. I had ordered, picked up a TV taken off the old one, put up the new one, reattached everything, and boom. New TV is almost like didn't even, uh, nothing ever happened. It's a nice little upgrade, I feel like. You know, the one, the TV we had before was 55-inch, and, you know, you think the 55 from the 60-inch in the store or, you know, when you first look at it, there's like, hey, there's not much difference here. But when you put it on the TV stand and it almost completely, it almost fell off the TV stand with how big it was, I would say it definitely is in upgrade in size. So the first UFC I watched on our new 60-inch television was UFC 261. And man, that main card delivered. It was awesome. I couldn't, I, I think I tweeted out multiple times, UFC 261 kicked ass. All the fights delivered. And, you know, it was a lot of quick finishes, first or second round finishes. And I feel like the UFC was very efficient with the time that they had. You know, after a quick finish, they didn't bullshit us with like 15, 20 minutes of commercials. They just moved on to the next fight. So it was just like boom, boom, boom. That's how I like it. By the time the main event came on, I wasn't half falling asleep. And, you know, and. You know, being 31 years old, apparently I get sleepy now by 9.30. So, you know, I really appreciated, you know, the efficient nature at which the UFC delivered this card. So let's just run down, you know, the five fights. And I guess we'll just start with the main event, you know, and then uh, work our way down. Kamara Usman, man, he slept Jorge Masvidal in the second round. That was something I did not anticipate. Jorge Masvidal is someone that has been finished, I think they said, since 2009. And from his own mouth, he says he's never been knocked out in that fashion. You know, Kamar Usman, I had mentioned 
to multiple people that I felt like his stand-up was overrated, but I don't think in my wildest dreams that I did I anticipate that he was going to, you know, bring the hammer of Thor and knock Jorge Masvidal into the next dimension. I mean, there's plenty of really good screenshots and pictures of that punch, and, you know, Masvidal was asleep even before he started falling down to hit the canvas. You know, really impressive by Kamar Usman. You know, I felt like his stand-up, he was even getting the better of the stand-up exchanges in the first round. You know, he was doing good in stand-up. He was able to land a pretty big takedown slam when Jorge Masvidal went for a flying knee. So, you know, Kamar Usman, man, he delivered. He was dominant. You know, it wasn't dominant over five rounds like I anticipated, but he was in he was dominant for the, you know, the round round plus that he was in there for. So I think he's definitely in the conversation for the pound for pound. You know, I'm not gonna really sit here and debate too much about it because let's be real, after every UFC pay-per-view or at least a dominant victory by the champion in the most recent pay-per-view, there's always that conversation of the pound for pound goat, but or the pound for pound greatest going on right now but I think it's undeniable that you know Usman's definitely up there you know up there with like you know John Jones and the Habib Nurmagomedovs of the world so definitely impressive he's looking like he's going to have Colby Covington next which I'm looking forward to their first match was awesome it was you know complete back and forth this happened back in December of 2019 I believe Colby Covington hasn't stopped running his mouth even though his jaw was broken in that first fight you know I think depending on who you ask or whatever he would tell you that his jaw wasn't broken but you know he's you know Covington I think has the stamina and the gas tank to push Usman he's tough as shit you know because even though he got finished it, it was finished in the fifth round after you know a complete back and forth you know Covington has been arguing that the I think it was Mark Goddard was the referee for that fight and he's been adamant that he'll never let the Mark Goddard referee his matches again because I forget if he was I forget what happened at one point but he was blaming Mark Goddard for basically calling making calls that shouldn't have happened and he's basically blames Mark Goddard for him losing that fight so we'll see even though you know I like Colby Covington because I think he definitely knows the wrestling shtick he's kind of like how Chael Sonnen you that you know sometimes you got to talk people into the building to watch a fight Colby Covington definitely gets that his MAGA characters like you know I think it's I think it's pure comedy and you know he he He's he lives the gimmick every time you see him, so he definitely is going to make a fight with Usman interesting. And to Usman's credit, he's living up to his end of the bill by being a completely dominant champion. And I think Usman has made himself must watch TV. You know, that fight or that knockout is going to be one of those that the UFC is going to be replaying for years on end. So I could even see that be on the cover of the next UFC video game. You know, just seeing, you know, Masvidal, who was on the cover of UFC 4, looking like a Tony Montana or like a Miami drug lord. He could end up being on the cover of UFC 5 as falling asleep on the way down after that big, massive right hand by Usman. So we'll have to see. I don't know what's going to be up for next in Masvidal's career. He's already had a, about two decades in the sport, and a lot of people were thinking that this was maybe his, you know, his one shot at UFC gold. He already has the BMF belt, which some could argue that Usman has definitely established himself as a badass motherfucker you know especially sleeping mozzie doll like that so you could argue that 
Usman is the BMF champ right now. But, you know, so we'll have to see if Masvidal, if he's going to come back out for gimmick fights, like to defend his his BMF belt. Does he fight Nate Diaz again? <clears throat> Apparently Nick Diaz was backstage at UFC and Dana White was going to talk to him about a comeback fight potentially. He hasn't fought since 2015 when he fought Anderson Silva. And I think both of those dudes ended up testing positive for like, I think Anderson Silva for some sort of steroid and Nick Diaz for marijuana. So I think that that fight ended up being a no contest but so it's been over six years since we've seen nick diaz in the cage but i'd be i'd love to see him get in the cage and i think you know him versus masvidal would be a dope ass fight but we'd probably need to wait a little while because masvidal's brain definitely needs to recover after that because you know i know he was awake and talking after that but i could also imagine i wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if he was basically on autopilot this whole time because, my God, that was a fucking knockout. In the co-headliner or the co-main event, we had Rose Namajunas head-kicking Zhang Weili's head into the 10th row. This happened like a little over a minute into the fight. Man, that was definitely... In a, in a night where I just felt like I kept being surprised by, whoa, shit, I can't believe that just happened, or, oh, oh goddamn, like... This was definitely another one of those moments, and this is probably this is going to go up there. It's probably one of the big, like my most favorite UFC moments in recent memory and of all time. Watching Rose win the title this time, you know she when she would when Bruce Buffer was introducing her, she was just completely like in the zone, just repeating to herself like, "I'm the best, I'm the best, I'm the best," and like you know she it's weird because she's got this like humble confidence about herself where you know you just can't help but root for her and you know when she got that head kicked it was amazing you need to go look at the reaction of you know john anik joe rogan and daniel cormier how like their reaction to the head kick it was amazing i i did the same thing i jumped up i it it was amazing to see after the fight just how emotional she was and her husband Pat Barry just being like, dude, you're the best. Like, you're the best. And she was just like, I'm the best. Like, and it was just so awesome. And her post fight interview, it's like Rose Namajunas is like the UFC's biggest baby face. And when I mean baby face, it's like in professional wrestling, the, you know, the person that we're all rooting for to overcome the obstacle, you know, in this case, it was, she kind of set the storyline with the pre-fight interviews that, you know, she felt like Zhang Wei Li was, you know, who represents China and in, in so facto representing communism and so she basically made this almost like a storyline of just not getting her title back but that she was fighting for against an ideology that she felt like had harmed her family in the past so you know it was an amazing victory it was just an amazing ufc moment i was expecting more of a back and forth war especially after Lee's epic fight with joanna jojacek in the previous year but, you know, nothing, you know, you might have a great chin, but if you just get hit on the right spot, like Rose Cotter, you know, there's nothing you can do. Zhang Wei Li was, you know, protesting the finish after the fight with the referee, but I think that was just her being completely like, you know, like on cloud nine, not knowing what the hell was going on. And I don't even think she understood what the hell happened. She probably had no idea. So, you know, I think on her Instagram, she was calling for a potential rematch. And, you know, there's not really 
much else in the division that I would want to see Rose do besides a rematch. You know, you can look at there's Mackenzie Dern. She's kind of one of the big people in the division right now where she's got a string of victories. She's probably the best jiu-jitsu practitioner or one of the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners in the all across all the women's divisions. So that could end up being a big fight and a marketable fight. Or you can look at the winner of Carla Sparza and Jean and Yan, I guess it's, it's another Chinese fighter, and I know it just butchered that name, but it's her and Carla Sparza. I, I know that Rose Namajunas probably would like another crack at Carla Sparza. She was the, you know, Rose Namajunas was the favorite to win the Ultimate Fighter finale when she was in that season in 2014 and to win the inaugural 115-pound championship. But Carla Sparza, with her tough wrestling and stuff, was put a beat down on Rose. So, you know, maybe that's a matchup they're going to look forward to. So, you know, only time will tell with Rose. But for now, she's a two-time UFC champion. Epic moment. And then in the third title fight, we had Valentina Shevchenko, and I said before the fight that she's arguably the, you know, the second pound-per-pound woman in the MMA right now behind only Amanda Nunes, and she definitely showed that. If anything, she was making her argument that she is the number one pound-per-pound fighter, and if she hadn't lost to Amanda Nunes twice before, I would definitely maybe come on here and make that proclamation. It was such an epic performance. She whooped that ass like the entire time. And, you know, she made my, you know, TKO round two prophecy come to fruition. So I'll take that. I'll take that as a victory in my, uh, you know, UFC predictions. So, you know, in terms of the title fights, I was two for three on that. But, you know, Valentina Shevchenko, she looks so crisp on her feet. You could definitely tell her kickboxing was top-notch. It doesn't matter that Andrade had the power. There was nothing that she could do to threaten Shevchenko. And then Shevchenko, just to show that she can beat her anywhere else, she just took her down at will. Even when Andrade would get back to her feet, she would just take her right back down. In that second round, it was just only a matter of time. And showed her prowess on the mat by getting the crucifix, laying down a beatdown, and just, you know punching away and Andrade really had no chance there you know so for Andrade who's you know a former champion at 115 and you know title challenger at 125 and you know one of the best women fighters around right now Valentina Shevchenko made her look like she was not even in her class and she really wasn't Valentina Shevchenko has the confidence of a champion she's even said that she's not going to come out and call for you know for an opponent after this she'll fight whoever they put in there you know she was even mentioned how before the fight people are mentioning that Andrade might have the advantage with power or maybe on the mat and she would say and I was letting people talk I was letting people think that she had an advantage there in reality in reality she had an advantage nowhere and Shevchenko proved that you know, she's said she's planning on fighting for a long time. And as far as I'm concerned, she's going to be that champ at 125 pounds for as long as she wants. The only person I, th- I can see even challenging her in any way, shape, or form would be 
Amanda Nunes. And, I mean, Valentina Shevchenko said that she's not going to go out there calling for that fight. If it comes, she'll let it just come naturally and let it be brought to her. But Dana White, he doesn't seem too, you know, big on the subject. I think he likes the idea of having a, a couple, you know, established female stars. And that's what he has in especially all three champions right now. Amanda Nunes, Valentina Shevchenko, and now Rose Namajunas. That's, you know, that's definitely... You know, those are three really marketable champs right there. And I could see why Dana White's, like, going to definitely try to hold off on the super fight and the trilogy between Shevchenko and Nunez. But, you know, until until that fight happens, I don't see Shevchenko being threatened in any way, shape, or form. And, you know, long reign the queen. All right. You know, all, all three of those title fights were awesome, but probably one of the most memorable things happened before that and memorable not in the, and not in a good way it was shades of anderson silva and considering the guy it happened to it definitely was bringing everyone especially on the twitterverse and you know coming from my mouth as well that there was definitely some weird cosmic karma that came chris weidman's way 17 seconds into his fight with Uriah Hall, he threw a leg kick. You know, his shin land like you know, right below his knee landed on Uriah Hall's shin, and it completely snapped his shin. Weidman tried to, you know, after that happened, he stepped back and just completely crumpled to the floor. It was, it was disgusting, man. It was definitely rough to watch when it happened. It was definitely one of those moments in my brain where I'm like, it almost like short circuited, like, oh my god, what the. F- fuck did i just see oh dude when they did show the replays it was it was definitely not for the for a weak stomach you know my heart goes out to chris weidman i don't know what this means for the rest of his career i felt like he definitely needed this win after coming back down from 205 but after a devastating injury like that and what he's accomplished in the sport already I feel like, you know, that that's probably the last time we're going to see Chris Weidman. It's a shame that that's how it happened. But, you know, I checking on MMA Junkie this morning, his wife has made a post on social media and a picture of Chris Weidman. He was, you know, he was all smiles with the thumbs up post-surgery. So I guess he's got his leg fixed up, his leg fixed up and is in good spirits. But you know, I mean, I think that's as as good as you can, you know, the best you can you can do after an, a devastating injury like that. It's definitely rough. You know, I mean, I watch tons of UFC, and that's definitely not something you see every day. I mean, I think this is only the third time a leg snap like that has happened in the UFC, and it just so happens that Chris Weidman was a part of both of those. So, yeah, dude. Wishing you the best of luck in recovery, and, you know, that was a rough one to watch. And especially considering that that came right after the Anthony Smith and Jimmy Crute fight, because that fight ended with, you know, that, that back leg kick strikes again. Crute's leg completely gave out. <clears throat> Woo, sorry, my throat's like 
completely dry. Sorry about that. Hopefully that's not uh, busting your ears. But Crute's leg basically gave out like a minute left in the fight or in the first round. And, you know, he, he immediately dove in for a takedown. And after the round, he couldn't walk. And you're just seeing his ankle completely wobble. And it was really nasty. The crowd was reacting just like, oh, oh. Because like even when he was trying to sit on the stool, it was just like flopping around. So it's kind of crazy where you thought, okay, that's probably the nastiest thing we're going to see happen to someone's leg. And then, shit, 15 minutes later, we watched that leg snap by Chris Weidman. But you know what? Oh, although that was rough and nasty to watch, it definitely brought some excitement and shit for us to talk about. It was, you know, all of it was quick, quick and exciting. So definitely UFC 261 was worth the money. It was an, an awesome, you know, return to having a full stadium with people in there. That's something I, I failed to mention at the beginning is that this was, you know, the UFC's return to full stadiums and it was awesome. They definitely delivered. It was awesome watching, hearing the crowd. I missed hearing a full live crowd, you know, definitely uh, don't know what you got until it's gone and definitely, you know, live crowds, a nice, awesome, you know, it was a it was a sight to behold, so I'm looking forward to you know future UFC events with with big crowds and you know UFC man they've been bringing it in 2021 and they've definitely brought it again. Now the time has come. If you have not watched the new Mortal Kombat movie, this is your spoiler warning because it's going to be a spoiler filled review. So spoiler review after the epic music. Man, the production value of this show just keeps going up and up week after week. Definitely a basement operation with me being the producer, the research, the talent, all bottled up in one. But, you know, I think we're, uh, you know, this show, it's we're getting better. Let's just jump right into this review. So Mortal Kombat, it starts off with a kind of like a prologue or a flashback fight scene from 1617 it's like imperial japan and it is a fight between the lin kuei assassin b han he is you know or he's gonna end up being sub-zero he's attacking his rival ninja clan hanzo hasashi so it's interesting i never knew that sub-zero the lin kuei that they were chinese and i guess scorpion like his clan is japanese so i never knew that so that was kind of interesting so basically that Bihan or Sub-Zero, he goes and he assassinates Hanzo's wife, his kid, and all the people in the, you know, the Hasashi compound, and they basically have a fight to the death where, you know, Bihan kills Hasashi, and Hasashi gets sent down to hell, and, you know, so I guess that Bihan thought he had killed the entire Hasashi bloodline, that was the whole point to having that fight and killing him and murdering his wife and kid, but little did he know is that the wife had hidden a baby, their youngest baby, under the floor, so Bihan didn't wipe out the bloodline and Raiden you know God of Thunder I guess in Mortal Kombat universe he comes takes the baby and now we know that I guess the Hasashi bloodline has not ended and you know 
So that kind of leads us into present day. So that's where in present day, there's like a prophecy, right? That says the blood of the Hanzo Hasashi will lead a new generation of earth realm champions to prevent outworld victory. So that's like the whole, you know, premise of this movie and like Mortal Kombat in general is that, you know, there's this tournament, I think every hundred years where it's earth realm has to you know, put its best best fighters to fight against like Outworlds. You know, Outworlds is this violent, you know, aggressive like world. They have this tournament, and it's like if you win ten tournaments in the row, then the uh, one realm can invade the other realm. So basically, Outworld has won the past nine Mortal Combats, and going into this tenth Mortal Combat, if they win again, they'll be able to Outworld will be able to invade Earth Realm. So Shang Tsung, he's the main baddie in Mortal Kombat. He's a sorcerer. He takes people's fucking souls. And he decides to send his assassins to kill all of Earth's champions who have the Mortal Kombat mark and means that they'll be fighting in Mortal Kombat. He sends them to Earth Realm to basically assassinate these people and make sure that there's not even a tournament that ends up even happening. So he goes and he the first person he tries to go and assassinate is this guy Cole Young. Cole Young is like this down and out like regional MMA fighter. He used to be an MMA champion. Now he's just, you know, a jabron that doesn't know submissions. That's what it looks like. So he's with his family at a diner. Sub Zero shows up. He's trying. He's about to assassinate him. And then Jax shows up. You know, Jax like Sergeant Jax, military dude. He's a you know the guy with you know in video games the mechanical arms. Doesn't have mechanical arms yet, but you know yet and it's pretty awesome what we end up seeing so he helps cole and his family get away and meanwhile he fights sub-zero and there's an epic scene where sub-zero straight up grabs both of Jax's arms freezes him off blows him up and he leaves Jax for dead and you know that's the second time in this movie where sub-zero just like brutally assaults a dude thinks they're dead and then they're not really so you know sub-zero you definitely got to do a better job of finishing you know i mean for a game that literally is like finish him like he definitely doesn't do a good job of finishing fools so you know after that cole ends up meeting up with sonya blade Jax gave him the information to you know meet with his girl sonya and that's where sonya basically explains all the mortal combat and all that stuff to cole about the whole tournament how generations of people have referenced the great mortal combat tournament and you know so cole has a mark and she reveals that she has this guy kano you know people recognize kano he's from the original game with the laser eye he doesn't have the laser eye now, but she basically says that she has this guy. She kidnapped him. He has one of the marks, but he wasn't born with the mark. So we learn that you can basically kill someone, and if you kill someone who has the mark, then you end up getting it. So that's what Kano does. He's like a mercenary, and he's honestly one of the best parts of this movie. He's a funny-ass character. Every time he's on the you know on the screen he definitely shines and you know so after we're introduced to Sonya and Kano at the compound or at Sonya's compound basically one of Shang Tsung's assassins Sizoth or reptile to people who you know from the video game you know he attacks you know epic fight scene ensues and Kano just finishes him with like ripping out his ripping out his heart it was you know 
nice you know see sub-zero that's how you finish a motherfucker you do you go dumb and dumber status and rip the dude's heart out just like lloyd would have so you know that was pretty you know that's one thing that this movie definitely does it completely delivers on all the fight scenes so you know and i mean if you're going into a movie wanting anything more than epic fight scenes from mortal Kombat, then i think that's on you because they definitely delivered on the epic fight scenes so those three people they travel to raiden's temple because they that's where they're supposed to apparently go and learn and train for mortal Kombat at raiden's temple that's where they meet Liu kang and kung lao that's and raiden himself but Liu kang and kung lao those are the other mortal Kombat champions they've got the mark of mortal Kombat. And they also showed that they have like superpowers, like more like Liu Kang could harness fire, and Kung Lao has this magic hat, which you know it it is badass because it's basically a razor hat that could chop people up, and has kind of special powers and shit. But God, it's fucking goofy on his head. I don't know. It's like it doesn't look as goofy in the video game, but in in the in the movie, it definitely is this goofy looking hat. But basically they they describe that with the the marks that they have the you know the mortal combat marks it allows for them to obtain basically superpowers or like a special power power called arcana and every mortal combat fighter has something you know a special power inside if they have the mark and Liu Kang like basically says like in mortal combat you have zero chance if you don't unlock your arcana or whatever and it's kind of i thought that was actually a pretty cool way of kind of explaining how normal humans are able to fight and like do one-on-one combat with these like monsters and stuff like that because whenever you're playing the video game and you're just like a normal guy you know karateing like like goro for example it's like he would have no chance but i guess if you have some sort of superpowers or you know, being able to throw fireballs like Liu Kang, that's definitely an advantage. So it was kind of a cool way of explaining how the Earth Realm people get some sort of superpowers to be able to aid them in Mortal Kombat. So I thought that was pretty cool. So Liu Kang and Kano are basically, or Liu Kang and Kung Lao are training Kano and Cole Young to basically get their superpowers. And Kano's able to get his after he has just basically this epic argument with, with Kung Lao. So he gets his red laser eye. So now he's, you know, he's got his thing. And Cole Young, no matter how much he gets his ass kicked and how much he tries and train hard, he's had no improvement and doesn't have his special power yet. So Raiden lets him go home to his family and it's like, all right, you can go home to your family. But before you do, you should know you're related to this epic ninja Hanzo Hasashi. So you're part of his bloodline. Just want to give you a heads up. And so it's like, okay. So I thought it was kind of weird. He just like out of nowhere just like gave up. And it's like, okay, I know that there's this big epic tournament that I was basically born to be in. But all right, well, I guess I'll just leave you guys and, you know, go hang out with my family. So Shang Tsung knows it's like it's time to strike again. And he is basically able to get Cabal 
like one of his other assassins who apparently knows Kano from, you know, I guess Kano was the guy that put Cabal in this crazy suit or whatever. But Cabal basically knows that Kano is not really a good guy. He's not really one of those, you know, red, white, and blue, you know, I'm for Earth Realm, Team Raiden, all that shit. So he's able to convince Kano to, you know, break the shield that Raiden has on the temple, which allows Shang Tsung to, you know, attack the temple. So epic fight ensues. You know, it was actually pretty dope. You know, one of the best fatalities you see in the movie. It was a flawless victory by Kung Lao. There was this, like, flying chick, and she comes to attack Kung Lao, and he just basically gets his razor hat and shoves her face in it, and she slices, like, right down the middle. And, yeah, Kung Lao does drop a, like, flawless victory, and it was fucking pretty sick you know that's exactly what you expect from mortal kombat especially if you play the mortal kombat video games and then jacks you know he's there he has little weak little mechanical arms that look like they can't do shit but in the process of trying to stay, save sonya his superpowers are his little baby robot arms become big jacked up jacks arms pun intended and so now he's got super ass arms so while all this is going on you know cole young's with his family and who the fuck shows up Goro himself I was like dude there was definitely a big pop I was like oh hell yeah Goro showed up but he straight up shows up at Cole Young who's definitely part of the weakest of the guys I mean he basically is just like imagine if Goro showed up at Jens Pulver's house and like you know Jens Pulver is definitely not gonna fight and beat Goro but you know with his family being in danger I guess that was enough for Cole Young to get his arcana which is basically he gets his torso is like gets like a super impenetrable tough ass shield and he gets swords and he uses that to basically cut up goro kill goro it was fucking sick raiden definitely decides he decides to bring okay cole young you're actually useful now so teleports him back and in the whole process raiden's trying to get all of his people into like the void it's like the space in between the earth realm and the wherever raiden hangs out and i guess that's like a safe place where shang sung can't attack him and in that process kung lao got you know sacrificed himself to save cole young we got our first Shang Tsung, your soul is mine, sucking the soul out of Kung Lao. So Kung Lao, he was uh, one of the OG, you know, champions of Earth, and he definitely didn't make it out of this one. So R.I.P. Kung Lao. But, you know, I feel like you can't have a, you know, a movie with big stakes without having a good person getting taken out. And of the people that were available to get taken out, the guy with the big goofy hat is probably a good one to get taken out. So I was chill with that. So, you know, Raiden, he teleports all the Earth people and they're like, hey, you know, we gotta, you know, let's just fucking. Cole comes up with the ideas like Raiden teleport us down there and we're each going to take one of these motherfuckers and we're going to take them out. So Raiden decides to do that. Liu Kang gets Cabal, you know, takes out Cabal. Jack smashes this dude, Raiko, which is this dude that just had like a big stone mallet. And like, dude, I thought that Jax, when he was going to kill this guy, he was going to smash him with a mallet. But no, like Jax wanted to use his new fucking arm. So he just smashes that dude's face in. You're pretty brutal. Sonya, she fought Kano, and even though Kano had his superpower with the red laser eye, Sonya was able to kill him with a, with a 
with a garden gnome of all things. So she killed Kano and then in so doing fact getting her Mortal Kombat mark. So she's going to have to figure out her superpower at some point. And then Cole kills Melina, the chick with the the weird teeth and, you know, like Ninja Turtle daggers. So that happened. So after we, like, basically they killed all the Shang Tsung's assassins. Sub-Zero lures cool Cole Young to combat because he basically kidnapped his family and he froze his wife and daughter, which is reminiscent that happened to, you know, his relative Hanzo back in the day. That's how Hanzo's family got killed. Sub-Zero froze them to death. So, you know, Cole's getting his ass kicked by Sub-Zero. And at some point, Cole's blood sprays onto, like, the little, like, Hanzo's, like, a relic of Hanzo that Raiden gave to Cole. And that was enough to basically allow Hanzo to arrive from hell. So he's now Scorpion. And that was a fucking, probably the biggest pop of the movie. It was like, fuck, yeah, Scorpion showed up. Whole, you know, get over here. All that action, dope fight. They kill Sub Zero. You know, Shang Tsung arrives, sees that all of his dudes died, and he basically, you know, teleports his champ's bodies. So, like, you know, almost kind of giving you the, like, okay, this isn't the last we've seen of Goro or Sub Zero and those guys. They're definitely going to be showing up later. So, he kind of, like, teleports them back to Outworld and tells the people, like, hey, I'm going to be coming back with an army. So, this ain't over. And, you know, Raiden's basically response is, you know, we got to assemble a new group of champions to help defend for, for you know Shang Tsung's next attack or the next tournament and Cole basically you know when he's where the movie ends he says I gotta go you know I got some stuff to take care of and and drops that he's going to Hollywood looking for one of the next earth champions basically dropping that Johnny Cage is going to be a part of the Mortal Kombat moving forward so I know that now, that's how the movie ended, and I know Johnny Cage not being in the movie is something that a lot of people were complaining about and being like, how can you have Mortal Kombat without Johnny Cage? Well, now you have your answer. They're going to be bringing him into the next movie. So all in all, I thought this movie was dope. You know, I was I was going into a movie to watch my favorite Mortal Kombat characters beat the shit out of each other, have some epic fatalities, and whether it happened in a tournament or not, I don't give a shit, and, you know, it worked out well, you know, I think it's like if you're one of those people that was like, oh, there was no no actual Mortal Kombat tournament, it's like, dude, there's going to be more movies, so I definitely expect a tournament or something to happen, and Mortal Kombat is so much more than just the tournaments, there's like 11 games, you should go read some of the storylines for it, it gets kind of crazy, so... Mortal Kombat is more than just the Mortal Kombat tournament. And I'm cool with what they did. You know, people were like, Cole Young, was he a necessary character since he's not in any of the video games? And, you know, at first I was kind of skeptical about his character as well. You know, but considering that he was a descendant of the Hanzo who ends up being Scorpion and it was kind of a cool, you know, I thought it was a cool, you know, cool story. Like, I don't know if necessarily if I'm writing a Mortal Kombat movie, that's the vehicle of telling the story I would have gone with, especially when you consider that with Cole Young, I guess his character is the main reason why they didn't have Johnny Cage in this first movie is they felt that the personas or type of fighting that both of the dudes would have would be a little too similar but hey we're still going to get johnny cage so at the end of the day you know the cole young storyline 
I was okay with it. And I didn't think it was detriment to the movie. I think that the gaining the arcana or the special powers that the Earth Realm people have to do, I thought that was really cool, like, addition to Mortal Kombat. You know, kind of showing that, you know, because that was one of the things I always felt like when you're playing the game, especially if you're using, like, Sonya or someone that doesn't seem as strong and you're fighting Goro. It's like, how do you even have a chance? You're just, like, a normal human with no powers and this thing's, like, superhuman. And some of these people have, like, lasers and powers and all that shit. And... I guess the Earth Realm people <clears throat> being able to unlock powers of their own was a cool concept, and I definitely dug it. And you know, I think that you know, especially with Liu Kang basically basically saying like, "Hey, you have no chance without these powers," and that's how I always felt was that like if you were just a regular karate dude, you'd have no chance. So I guess it definitely makes sense, you know, and. Johnny Cage it'll be kind of cool to see what he ends up getting you know because as of this point Johnny Cage and Sonya Blade both don't have their powers so I'm sure that the next movie is probably going to be looking into you know what they get and basically just you know looking at to see where you know how Shang Tsung is going to come back and with which bad guys he does come back with and are we going to get you know some of the you know other big bads because Shang Tsung's not the only big bad that Mortal Kombat has so you know I think that we've definitely got you know a movie franchise here I think from all accounts that it, it's done a pretty good box office relative to all the other movies that have come out to in the pandemic so I think we're going to be seeing more Mortal Kombat movies you know if I had to say negative about this movie I think Shang Tsung seemed a little weak he just kind of seemed like an old Chinese guy in a robe and sure he did the your soul is mine but I kind of want to see some more you know let's see him kind of show that he's a threat like whether it be him having hand-to-hand combat with Raiden or have him kick Liu Kang's ass real quick or something like that like I just felt like Shang Tsung was a little like eh you know he just he's just all talk right now he's letting everyone else do all of his shit and then he's got that one trick of like I'm gonna steal your soul so you know I think if I had one complaint I thought that Shang Tsung was a little weak but all in all I think that it was a thumbs up if you were anticipating Mortal Kombat you know I think that you should be happy with it you know that I think that people could nitpick the little things but at the end of the day it's a movie based off a fighting video game and you know I think that they went out and accomplished what they needed to accomplish so you know I think uh, if we're giving a star rating like four out of five stars if we're giving a thumbs up thumbs up or thumbs down thumbs up you know a minus so it's just good in my book so Definitely go check it out, HBO Max, in theaters, or wherever you can find it. So this is a nice long episode. I feel like I had a lot to say about both UFC 261 and Mortal Kombat. You know, it is what it is. Didn't want to rush it. So hopefully you enjoy the show. I'm probably not going to have a show tomorrow. Today I'm going to be getting my second dose of my Moderna vaccine, and I anticipate not feeling the best. So, you know, rather than, you know promising her saying that there's going to be a show tomorrow and not being sure i'm just going to say hey i'm going to take the day off tomorrow to feel better so just enjoy this long episode so if you did enjoy this nice long episode you know as always be a friend tell a friend and if you did enjoy it just you know i don't even want to say you probably didn't even get to this point of the show if you did enjoy what you're listening to but you know you could just pretend you never listened to it 
But until next time, I have been your host, Dean Ryan. This has been a Cali Green Monster Show. Coming to you from the Tesla Studios in a rainy San Diego, California. Have a great one, guys. Here, enjoy some Mortal Kombat while I leave. Peace. Test your mind. Test your mind.